Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. So I'm really excited about this series that we've been in, and we are uh, really wrapping this one up. We're going to wrap this one up today, and then we're going to start something new in the weeks to come, and it's called Joyful Expectation. That's going to be our new series that's going to be starting next Sunday, and I don't want you to miss that. So, But today we're going to wrap this one up with a very... Um, obscure character in the scriptures, someone that you probably never even heard of. And we're going to be talking about him in just a few moments. We're going to read his story first, and today we're going to be talking about the double-edged sword, and we're talking about the elements of the armor of God and how those invisible armor that God has given us, the invisible armor that God has given us is so important for our understanding of how we can live a victorious life as we face the battles and the challenges of, of everyday life. And so in Judges chapter 3, we're going to begin reading the story here at verse 12. And it starts there. Once again, the Israelites, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. And then Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies. And then they went out and they defeated Israel and they took possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, well, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. And his name was Ehud, son of Jira. And he was a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. And the Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. And so Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long. And he strapped it to his right thigh and keeping it hidden under his clothing. And he brought the tribute money to Eglon, and then it says, who was very fat. <laughs> you can tell that they hate Moab and their king. And so after delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped him carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back and he came to Eglon and he said these words, I have a secret message for you. And so the king commanded his servants, be quiet. And then he sent them all out of the room. And then Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room. And Ehud said to him, I have a message 
from God for you. And as King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand and he pulled out the dagger that was strapped to his right thigh. And then he plunged it into the king's belly. And the dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger and the king's bowels emptied. And then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and he escaped down the latrine. And after Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and he found the doors to the upstairs room locked. And they thought he might be using the latrine in the room. So they waited. And when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they began to be concerned and they got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. And while the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Syrah. And when he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. And then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. And so they followed him. And the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. And they attacked the Moabites, and they killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors, and not one of them escaped. And so Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. Isn't that a great story? It's always great when they win. And not a single one of them escapes. But the whole story is just really important to point out key things. And the fact that's most important is that he was a left-handed man. It's mentioned twice, so we have to pay attention to that. It's crazy that he escaped down a latrine, but he had figured it out that that was the way that he was going to make his way out of there. And twice it also mentions that they passed their idols. And so all of these things are important, and we're going to see why. The first thing I need to point out to you in the story is that there is a cycle of slavery that is repeated in the scriptures that we finally understand that we need to avoid in our own lives. Otherwise, we keep living the same life that the Israelites lived. And it didn't matter when the deliverer would come, well, the cycle of slavery would begin again. Over and over again, God would have to send a deliverer. In the book that we're in, it's called the book of Judges. And it's a time in which there is no king for Israel. And so God is appointing someone to lead his people. And every once in a while, he chooses someone that no one else would choose. And that's pretty much the standard system that God uses over and over again. Find someone who is unworthy, someone that everyone else disregards, find someone that no one else would choose, and that's my guy. That's my guy. That's the girl that I'm going to use 
to deliver my people. And over and over, God does that. And he uses the most unlikely and the most obscure people to do extraordinary things. And, and that's important for us to understand that whenever we find ourselves in a position where we feel that we're not good enough, you need to understand right from the start that God is always looking for someone who's just willing to go. And if we're willing to go, then God is willing to go with us. And then that's what we're understanding about this armor of God, because it's given to all of us, but not everyone is willing to put it on and go into battle. But if you're willing to put it on and go into battle, then God goes with you, protects you, and gives you the victory every time. And that's important for us to really allow to sink in. So getting back to that cycle of slavery, there is this moment in which the people just experience apostasy, where they decide that they are no longer going to believe. They're no longer going to follow God. They're just not going to do it. And that's the first stage. And then the second stage is, is servitude, where God looks at them and says, okay, well, if you abandon me, then I'm not going to be able to protect you from your enemies, not because I don't want you, and not because I don't want to, but because you have abandoned me. And because you have left the relationship, you have left yourself exposed in this relationship. I've protected you as long as I can, but now your enemies are gathering around you. Whether you realize this or not, they are making plans to come and destroy you. And so Moab, you can see that he makes alliances and goes out against the people of Israel. And this is what we need to understand, is that we end up in servitude because Satan never rests. Evil never stops. Darkness never ceases to exist. It is always gathering to scheme and to bring this death and destruction to our lives. And so because we know this, we know that the opportunity for servitude, enslavement of some sort, is coming. And we have to be aware of that. Now the third thing that happens in the cycle of slavery is supplication. Supplication meaning that in the story that we're in, the people finally cry out. They cry out to God, and then when God hears them crying out, he says, I'm going to send you a deliverer. And that's when he sends Ehud. Now, Ehud would have been probably one of the wealthiest people in Israel. Someone with stature, status. He had position. He had power. Because he's the one who's being chosen and selected to bring the tribute. The tribute is what you have to pay a king from the people that are enslaved. So they collected taxes and they collected gold and silver and whatever it is that they had to bring, whatever the terms of that agreement were, they had to bring that in. And Ehud is selected to do this. And the interesting thing is that there is a relationship that Ehud has with God that he understands that this is gonna be his moment where God is choosing him to put an end to the Moabites. And he's going to use this moment to do it. The moment that he brings the tribute. And what's powerful about this moment is that Ehud goes back by himself. And he hasn't shared his plan with anyone else. 
It is something that God has put on his heart, something that he is acting on, but it isn't something that he has done in consultation with others. So when he drops off the treasure, he then leaves with everybody, says goodbye to them, and then goes back to kill the king. And so that is the third stage, supplication. And then the fourth stage is salvation. It's God actually delivering his people. And so I don't know about you, but I feel like we are often in these stages at some point. In our relationship with God, in our understanding of what it looks like to be in relationship with God. And we need to just be aware of this. This is a subtext and it's important because it's repeated over and over again. And whenever we do see anyone in the scriptures crying out to God, God nonetheless responds. And I, I need you to see that because you may feel like you are in a stage in your life where you have abandoned God, where you find yourself in servitude. There's something that has mastery over you. But God is saying, if you cry out to me, not only will I hear you, but I will give you the deliverance that you seek. I will give it to you, the deliverance that you seek. What you need, I will provide that. And so God wants us to understand that he raises up these deliverers. And this deliverer can come to us in whatever form and fashion that God chooses. In the story, he has a name, he's a person, he is left-handed, and he's incredibly astute in strategy, obviously very courageous, to go and do this and not afraid of latrines. He is not afraid of having to crawl through you know what. Has anyone had to crawl through anything lately? Have you found yourself in some recently? Do you understand what that feels like and looks like? And I want you to understand that in this specific situation, his freedom, his escape is through that latrine. And if, if you look at the story of that we're in, not only does this king empty his bowels everywhere, but then he also has to escape through the very place through which he's been emptying his bowels for a while. And to me, if I'm asking God for an escape, I'm asking for it to be cleaner than this. Anybody else? I want a clean escape. I don't want this kind of an escape. And, and here's the problem with us. We want deliverance without having to crawl through the latrine. We want to be free, but we don't want to struggle for our freedom. We don't want to have to fight through all the crap that might be there to be able to get clean on the other side. And so the story reminds us that there has to be a decision that is made for us to break that cycle of slavery. And that first decision is 
we can no longer be content to be enslaved. We have to say, I am no longer okay with the way things are. Now remember that they had been ruled at this point for 18 years. So this is a long time coming. And a lot of us have been struggling with things for maybe at least 18 years. Maybe there's things in our life that have been with us even longer than that. And maybe we look at it and we say, you know, I've only been struggling with this for a year. And we think it'll never be us still struggling with the same thing at year 18. Does that make sense? But you see, one year becomes a second and becomes a third. And what the story reminds us is that if you leave this unchecked, that if you don't cry out to God, then you can stay in the situation that you're in longer than you ever needed to. Because if we are in servitude, the next stage is supplication. We have to cry out to God. And when we cry out to God, God provides the deliverer. And in our case, the deliverer is always Jesus, and we'll see why. But the deliverance can come to us in many forms. And whatever form it comes to us in, here's the thing. We only give glory to Jesus. Because he is our intercessor, our mediator. He is the one who's heard our cry, and he is the one who has given the message to God, who God in turn turns and then sends us the deliverance that we need. And so there's a verse in the book of Psalms, and it says that we are to no longer be content with being enslaved. And Psalm 149, verse 6 says, May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. Can we say amen to that? Man, they're singing about this dude. And the reason they're singing about him is because this is such an incredible victory. This figure of the double-edged sword is that it's supposed to do two things. And, and the two things that it's supposed to do is only understood in the context of what Ehud is explaining and describing in the story that he is living. There, there's some reason that when he fashioned that sword, he knew that it needed to have two ends that were sharp. And, and he went in there wanting to do two things. And I know what you're saying, can you just tell us? I will. But if I tell you now, it ruins the story. Because in Psalm, it reminds us that if we are worshiping God, we are holding the double-edged sword in our hands. And I need you to see that when you are worshiping God, it is in that space and in that place where you are not yet free. And so I worship God, and I worship God with a double-edged sword in my hand because I say to God in that moment, I no longer want to be enslaved. The second thing is we have to confront the enemy. 
And when we confront the enemy in Ephesians 6, verse 17, it says that you are to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so what we are doing is that we are confronting the enemy, but we're confronting the enemy with the Word of God, which is the double-edged sword. And so what the sword does is that it penetrates the innermost parts of our being and it executes judgment. And so when we hold that double-edged sword in our hand and we're worshiping God, then what we're saying is, Lord, I want you to deliver me in the innermost parts of my life that I cannot reach. Just like Ehud reached the innermost parts of Ehud's fat belly. See, the story is connected. See, they're looking at it and they're saying, that sword never would have gotten as far as it did had it not been designed the way that it was. It did two things. It not only killed him on the inside, but then when everything folded back in, it ripped him from the other side. It didn't just reach the innermost parts, but it brought judgment at the same time. But when we are worshiping God, God is saying, I want to deliver you in the innermost parts. And the judgment that I bring is going to be a judgment that sets you free. So when we worship God with that double-edged sword, we're like Ehud, who's been enslaved for 18 years, saying, no more. I'm going to go and I'm going to confront my enemy. And then the third thing that he does is that he says, I'm going to commit everything to the Lord. And in the book of Hebrews, this passage is directly linked to talking about the time and the season of the judges. And, and when the author of Hebrews writes these verses, he's thinking about Ehud. And even though he's not mentioned by name, well, his two-edged sword is. And so it says that for the word of God is alive and it is powerful and it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Can we say amen to that? Isn't it amazing how the scriptures are connected? how the story is being alluded to and described and spoken again of again and again in all of these different books. And I want us to see that all of this is possible because God chooses someone who no one else would have chosen. And so that brings us to understanding who Ehud is and how we all need to accept our potential that God has given each and every one of us. The potential that he sees in us. And so accept 
the potential that God already sees in you. Now, I don't know how down you feel, how discouraged, how unworthy. I don't know what kind of shame you're carrying, what kind of guilt, what kind of things in your past or in your present are holding you back. But I want you to understand that servitude, that slavery. It's something that God wants to deliver you from. When God looks at you, he sees someone who is so filled with potential that he wants to release that, but he can only do that if you will cry out to him, worship him, like we saw in Psalms, holding your double-edged sword. And asking God to divide you soul and spirit, joint and marrow, reaching the innermost parts of your being, setting you free and bringing judgment to the past once and for all so you can now live your best life going forward with no regrets. God is saying, I want you to accept this potential. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 1.27. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. If you think this is a coincidence, it's not. Look, there have been moments where I have felt young and, 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 and powerful and strong. Uh, these days, I feel like I could twist an ankle just getting out of my car. I, I've been taking boxing lessons every Friday, and it's been, it's been like, it, it has been just boxing the crap out of me. It has been really, really hard. Uh, I never thought it would be as hard as it was and as hard as it is. But part of why I keep going is because it's so hard. Does that make sense? I I feel like it's it's shaping me. I feel like it's forming me. I feel like it's doing something in my body and in my mind. It's it's the the discipline of having to go when I don't want to go, when I'm still sore several days later after it. And, and to have to go back to it again doesn't seem to, to make sense. But then I, I realize that I'm actually getting better. I'm getting stronger. That I'm actually more than what I was before I started going. But it doesn't always feel like that when you are being delivered. Because the hard moments are what we always quit at. That's when we give up and we go back to what was comfortable, what was easy. Why do I need to keep struggling with this and be free when I can stay where I am and just live another day? Because I've lived another day every time I've gone back to the way that it was. And the people of Israel were in that mindset over and over again, right? They kept seeing hard things in front of them, and they kept saying, wouldn't it just be easier for us to just go back? Like, why do we have to keep going forward? This is so hard. At least we knew what it was like to live in slavery. Let's just go back to that. And if you think that's a mindset that was just the Israelites, you're wrong. I live and fight that mindset all the time. Anybody else? You see, Ehud was left-handed. And the literal translation of this particular phrase is hindered in the right hand, which is crazy because guess what tribe Ehud is from? 
He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And, and, and the, the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin means son of my right hand. But the problem with Ehud is that there was something wrong with his right hand. He actually had a disability that kept him from using it because in those days, you would not have used your left hand willingly like today. I know this for a fact because my grandmother tied my left hand behind my back when she saw that I started using my left hand instead of my right. And the day in which I was being raised, to be left-handed was seen as a bad thing. Anybody else had that in their culture? Just Italians are weird, anybody else? Right? Like you just couldn't write with your left. You, you just couldn't do that. You couldn't color with your left, whatever. So to this day, I can do everything with both hands because I was always secretly using my left hand. Even when I was in school, they would take everything out of my left hand and put it in my right hand, and when the teacher wouldn't look, I would put it back in my left. I just kept doing that because it didn't feel right for me to be right-handed. But there's something wrong with Ehud's right hand, and he's from the tribe of those that are known to be the strength of God because of their right hand. But does that stop Ehud from going into Moab? No. He takes the double-edged sword and he straps it to his right thigh so that he can reach it with his left hand. And Ehud never sees it coming because his right hand never moves. And so he kills him with his left. Come on. Come on. He never saw it coming. The enemy didn't know what Ehud could do. And the devil doesn't know everything that you can do too when God fills you with his spirit. When he puts his hand of blessing on your life. And everything that the enemy has been strategizing against you in the moment in which you need it most, God gives you a left-handed victory. And the enemy never sees it coming. And you are set free. You know, in French, we use the word gauche. And it just doesn't just mean left. It just means someone who's also awkward. And so every time in the scripture that they said that Ehud was a left-handed man, they were also saying that he was awkward. And so... There was never a moment that Eglon, the king of Moab, felt like this left-handed cripple could do anything in his presence. You understand what's going on here? He felt so confident that he could just send everybody out of the room. But just in case he couldn't be left alone with him, Ehud says something that just captures the king's heart and he says to him I have a message from God and it's just for you and the message was the double edged sword he didn't lie he told him the truth he brought that message 
he drove that thing right home. He made sure that he delivered the message of the Spirit and the judgment of God in that moment. I want you to think about how God is able to go beyond any awkwardness, any disability, any disadvantage, any doubt that you may have. Ehud was this unlikely hero, a man who was handicapped, a man who was obscure. He was an underdog. He was a person that no one ever thought or imagined God would choose. And that's exactly who God used to deliver this victory to. The message was the sword, and the sword was also God's judgment. And so when God sends us out into the world, he doesn't send us unprotected. He doesn't send us uncovered. He doesn't send us without any weaponry. He not only provides the armor, but he also provides the sword that we need for the victory that we're going to need it for. But we can't be afraid of the moment. We can't be comfortable with the past, and we can't fear the escape plan that might take us through the latrine. There might be more that we're going to have to do and go through before we experience the fullness of that victory. But if we trust God, then every step of the way, he is going to keep bringing the victory. And so the victory isn't won because a king dies, because kings get replaced. So Ehud has to go to his people now, and he has to tell him and tell them what it is that he did. And that mobilizes all of them. And it gets everyone so excited that they go out into battle because they believe that finally God has given them not just a deliverer, but deliverance. That this isn't just a moment of deliverance. This is going to bring generational freedom. God is interested in giving us generational freedom. Not 18 years of slavery, but 80 years of freedom. Generational freedom, that if we stay with it and stick with it, God is going to make sure that we keep living free. In Revelations 1.16, it's the last verse we're going to read, but it talks about Jesus. And it says that he held seven stars in his right hand. And then he had a sharp two-edged sword that came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And what this image is, is just the power and the magnitude and the strength that Jesus has. It reveals that even the stars can be held in his hand. It shows that the sun can be his very countenance that it can dispel any darkness, that the sword that we need in every battle is Jesus, that because we have him, 
we always get to win. That it doesn't matter what the situation is, he will always be the sword that we need in every fight. He is the victory that we've been looking for and that we have been desiring and that we have been, unfortunately, at times, not allowing him to give us because we have been content with living in servitude instead of living in the freedom that he has given each and every one of us. Are you ready to receive that freedom? Are you ready to wield that double-edged sword in your life? So we say no more and we let that sword do the work that it needs to do in the area of our life where we need it most. And so, Father, thank you for every person here, for the way that you have brought us into this incredible place and space to experience your word and a deeper understanding of it so that we could apply it in our everyday. And you know where it is that we need this word in our lives and where we need it most and the victory that we need to experience because of it. And so we ask that you would bless every person here, the lives that they represent. I pray that you bring freedom to each of them. I pray that you give them generational freedom and victory, generational blessing on them and their life. I pray, Father, that you would give each and every one of them the victory that you have given Ehud. You took someone who wasn't worthy. You took someone who was broken. You took someone who was obscure. You took someone that people overlooked and you used him to set your people free. Lord, I pray that you would use us in that same manner, that we would no longer be overlooked, not by ourselves and not by others, because your hand of blessing is upon us, because you have chosen us, because we worship you, and when we do, we hold that double-edged sword in our hands. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.